0: all right you're now tuned in to the follow through with clips and drew the true players podcast episode 219 it was a big night in basketball last night dirk's jersey gets retired uncle drew is back with the nets make them dance lance showed out in indy and we bring our boy spencer davies on the show to talk about the cleveland cavaliers and the eastern conference it's the follow through with clips and drew drew kick that intro music What up, podcast world? What's up, everybody? You know what it is. You know where you're at. It is the follow through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, episode 219. Drew, I'm out here trying to dodge this virus like Patches O'Houlihan playing the Purple Vipers in dodgeball, dude. The I five Ds. See, the five. It, the, yeah, the five Ds, and I'm trying to to dodge. This virus, everyone, I got so many people that are going down with this shit, bro. And I was talking to a homegirl of mine today who went on this camping trip with her family. Like it was a group of family, you know, three families that went on this camping trip. And I hit her up this morning. I'm like, Hey, how'd the camping trip go? She's like, we all got the virus. I'm like, what the hell is going on? She's like, you know what? Ian, if I was you, he, she's like, you should be a bubble boy for the next three weeks. I said, I am the poster boy for bubble boy. I've been a bubble boy for two years. All right. <laughs> what the hell? And, you know, hey. and we're seeing it. In, we're seeing it in the NBA. Just players are going down left and right, bro. I, I just don't even know what to do anymore
1: well if you can dodge a wrench you can dodge coronavirus so we all need to work on that we all need to work on that
0: well it's just it's just i feel like the walls are closing in i've done so well for two years but now just people are going down left and right and i'm like i'm just gonna get it it looks like i'm just gonna get it no matter what um i am triple vax boosted so you know hopefully i'll be okay but anyways there was a big night in the nba last night drew we had a lot of really really crazy things go on we have uh we had Dirk's jersey retirement, which was absolutely awesome. You know, I think the coolest part about when like a great NBA player gets his jersey retired and lifted in the Raptors, the rafters, we get about four or five days leading up to this of just awesome stories and highlights, and so many people coming in telling their favorite Dirk story, and that's what I've loved the past five days, is just seeing how good you know where this guy came from the awkwardness of his workouts you know being german being the white boy the the earrings the the parted hair in the middle right and just seeing turn into the the, you know one of the greatest players of all time sixth leading scorer of all time you know the rivalry he had with kevin garnett there was a great story about that uh that 2011 championship you know david beating goliath although you know, Dallas really wasn't David, but you get what I'm saying, taking down the Heatles, which people still talk about, right? Just that, that championship was something so crazy. And just watching Cuban talk about him last night was just really special, man. And then when you look at 21 years, like the guy came out in, in 97, right? Ni- yeah. 90, 98, was it 98? 98, 98. And I'm thinking like, yo, I'm 16 when he's coming out. I My whole adult life, I watched uh, Dirk Nowitzki. So, it was really special to me, bro. Did you did you get to watch it?
1: I did. I did. I get. To, I got to watch that because ESPN didn't switch the coverages appropriately to the better game, which was the return of Kyrie. Uh, but Dirk deserved uh, ESPN coverage of his his game that was honoring his career, and then the retirement afterwards. I thought it was really well done. It was a big win for the Mavs. Uh, their defense was stifling on Steph Curry. I, that was about as good of a job as a team has ever done on Steph. I mean, yes, he missed some shots, but mostly everybody was defending Steph. It was like, we're switching everything. They had Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, Reggie Bullock was chasing him around, Tim Hardaway at times, but it was all about you know the way that they recovered when Steph gave the ball up. I thought their defense was fantastic, but the Dirk story – that always drives me up the wall, and I just I want to I want to be able to watch the whole game is when he's taken on Team USA, and he just torches him for fifty two points, and Barkley's rendition is like Scotty says at halftime, Scotty Pippen, who's out there and Dirk is playing against, goes I'm gonna lock him up, and at, he goes in at halftime with like twenty five, and he co- he finishes the game with fifty two. And then to hear later that Dirk thought Scotty was an arrogant ass, uh, I just kind of says it all. I mean, it's just amazing. That story always blows my mind that he was like, you know, this generation's Sabonis. Sabonis was the only other guy, international guy, to like dominate the United States when they played. And for, for those two guys to be uh, kind of the pillars of European big men, uh, we're in a good spot. And I, it's, it's cool that Luca's on this team too, right? Kind of moving that forward for the international side of things.
0: It was a little scary though. Like first three minutes, Luca pulled up lame with that hamstring or whatever. And I'm like, Oh shit, here we go.
1: And then he rolled his ankle at the end. He he, he, like by himself, just rolled his ankle. He's got to get new shoes. Those Lucas, those are his own shoes. He's got to get new shoes. I think
0: I've heard Barkley tell that story so many times. That's his favorite Dirk memory. And he just remembers that this kid kicked our ass, right? Like literally came in and kicked our ass, which is just great. But what a great story. What a great career. The, the one team guy, you know, Steph's probably going to be that next guy. Um, I think getting a statue is very appropriate. I think the relationship between Cuban and him is something really special. I think the relationship between Cuban and the Mavs team is something special. But um, Jason Kidd had something funny last night when he was giving his speech. I mean, they had everybody there. Tyson Chandler was there. I think the Jet was there and, and Jason Kidd. And Jason Kidd's like looks at, at Dirk and he's like, hey, man, we're giving out 10 days. If you want one, we got you. How cool would that be? But Dirk's like, nah, dude, I'm
1: playing. <laughs> Amazing. Now. He should have, he should have asked that to all of the 2011 players that were there. Like the championship winners, like hey, Tyson still looks like he could go. Yeah. Where's, where's Josh Howard? Like, we, can we get 10 days for Josh Howard? Um, anyway, yeah, that was funny. That was very funny. Um, and it is, it's kind of cool that Jason Kidd is now the head coach and they were, you know, the, the, the two best players on that team, uh, from that championship year. Uh and that was a big deal for Dirk, you know. I, I, six in six in scoring is great, but the fact that he actually got a ring that he deserved—I think his his career deserved. Uh, I the, the weird thing though is when we remember this, at least for me, when I when I remember this, it's not all roses, right? They win that championship, and then Cuban just goes on a fire sale and lets people go left and right, like, and then they don't win, like they don't do anything after that. So that part of it is is disappointing for me. From a Mavs perspective and from an ownership perspective, I thought, I thought they kind of did Dirk and that team a little dirty right after they win the championship. I mean, who knows if they, whether or not they would have won another championship in those years, but it just seems like, you know, Dirk was, he won the MVP in 07. They win a championship in 11 and it's like, yep, that's good enough for us. And so I, I do think while Dirk was very much treasured there, I think his time could have been, you know, used a little bit better with the pieces that they, didn't give him for all those years. I don't know.
0: No, that makes sense. You know, before there was Kevin Durant, there was Dirk, you know, and probably one of the most like unique offensive guys ever that we've seen. I mean, seven footer that can shoot, that can drive. You know, a a lot of people always say they, they categorize Dirk as like, yo, he's probably the best international player we've ever had. But why can't you make an argument? He's one of the best players to ever play. It doesn't necessarily have to be, international I get I get why they say that but like just how we were talking about Steph being the goat and being you know can he be in the conversation there could be a conversation for Dirk right sixth all-time in scoring the guy won a chip uh he you know look at his numbers they're great if you want to make an argument for Dirk being a top three guy top four top five guy I I'm I'm here for it and I'm totally fine um having that conversation but even like the skyhook was undefendable, so was his fadeaway and the one legged stuff that that he worked on religiously right when I mean, for anybody that hasn't seen this guy's off season and his trainer i wish i knew the trainer's name that, that he's had since he was like 12 oh, the
1: german guy yeah. yeah the
0: german guy they did shit that nobody was doing right it reminds me of like herschel walker herschel walker never lifted a weight right all he did was, <laughs> all he did was push-ups right and it just worked for him and Dirk, you see dirk and the stuff they had him doing you know like uh, catcher's position at the free throw line and then shooting and then doing crow hops, the, the length of the court to strengthen the, his core and his legs. And just, it worked for him, man. And, you know, it isn't until these guys are gone that we appreciate just how great they were at their prime, right? And that's why at the beginning of the show when I said it's awesome watching all these highlights because most people in their mind think, oh, the fadeaway was Dirk, but Dirk used to bang on people too, bro. Like he he would <laughs> not he would, that would, often, but not yeah, that often, but he bring from time he'd, to time. He bring it to you, yeah. you know. Yeah, um, he would. It's just a really great story, and I was really happy to see that, man. I was really happy to see that. Um, there was another big deal last night. We had the return of uncle drew your, your great uncle, uncle drew. Yeah. My namesake, your namesake uh, returned last night. And, you know, we've been waiting for part-time Kyrie to come back. People were uh, Steve Nash was adamant about saying that he's going to play a big chunk of time. And that he, that's exactly what he did. Now, did he look rusty in the first couple minutes? Yeah. But then he came out and was, was normal Kyrie got 22 points. Um, he had a couple coast to coast plays where it's like, damn, man, I miss that guy. That's the guy I miss. Right. And, so I guess the question is, is this going to be what's going to be happening moving forward for the Nets? Is part-time Kyrie a good thing for them? You know, what, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen here?
1: Yeah, I, well, first, it was great to see him back out there, right? And you can just tell he's, he's – it's a natural thing. Playing basketball for him is a natural thing. He looks skinny. He looks like he's not in the best shape. I mean, as far as, you know, basketball conditioning. But he's – first game back, he plays 31 minutes, And it's just as smooth as it ever was, right? Yeah, okay, he maybe missed some shots. Uh, You know, maybe it was a little loose at times, like you would be without playing basketball for whatever, whatever it's been for him now. It's been a long time. Um, But it was really great to see him back. And even though Lance Stevenson completely took over and like outshined him like crazy, because Lance Stevenson is back, people need to remember Lance Stevenson is back in Indiana. Make them dance.
0: Lance was in full effect last night.
1: Unbelievable first quarter, but um, the Kyrie thing is, is it's going to be really important for the nets. And I think the major reason is because it, it will, I think it will help either um, convince Kyrie to get vaccinated or it will give them the time for those protocols to be changed in the state of New York while still having Kyrie involved in some capacity it it's gonna suck though when when you know their next game is at home against Milwaukee and he can't practice and he can't you know be on the sidelines and he can't go into the game obviously that's the most important thing uh so I don't know we've never experienced this I mean like you know since like Elgin Baylor and those guys were like part-time players and like teachers or you know in in the military or whatever we haven't experienced a part-time basketball player in 60 years it feels like so I just I don't I th- there's no roadmap for how this should go, or how well it's going to go, or how bad it's going to go. I think the good news is that it it will for Kyrie personally. It will give him a nice ramp up time, where he's not going to have to go, you know, 31 minutes against Pacers, and then now 31 minutes against Milwaukee. He has to have these these nights off. But I think the bigger thing is that hopefully, like reconnecting him with the team will build that excitement and maybe change his mind. Um, or at least buy him enough time until those protocols change because when it, when the playoffs start dude, that's, if he can't that's, play it. If he can't play at home home yeah. games, then like I don't know why they would why they would include him in the roster in the playoffs.
0: That's my biggest concern and that we talked about this since the beginning of the season, right? Like it could work to your advantage, I guess. You know, it's going to be hard for these teams to strategize. Uh, you know, you have Kyrie one night, then you don't have him the next night. It, it could work to Brooklyn's advantage, and it also helps having KD and, and James Harden there. But, yeah, I think the biggest concern is going to be coming into the playoffs. And, Drew, I don't know if protocol is going to change at all this season. I think it's just getting worse and worse, and they can't change protocol because people want to see Kyrie play. Just can't do it right now. <laughs> just, right. Sorry, <laughs> Kyrie. The world doesn't – the flat world doesn't resolve, revolve around you. You know what I mean? So. Exactly. Um, it's going to be very concerning. But back to what you were saying about make make him dance, Lance. It was just oh. fun to see him, man, especially doing it in Indy, where he already has like a little bit of legacy and they really love him. And it just looked like the Pacer fans were so hyped. He looked good, right? <laughs> really good. And it's funny, Drew. I don't know if you heard this yet, because it, it happened right before the show, but on the ticker. Gerald Green, who's a who's an assistant coach for Houston, said, "Fuck this, man! I'm I'm unretiring, and I'm gonna go try to get one of these bags, <laughs> one of these deals." So, if you guys haven't heard this yet, Gerald Green had quit his his assistant coaching job for the Rockets, which probably sucks, anyways. Dealing with all the drama they're dealing with, and we don't even want to touch that at this moment in time. But he's like, "F it! I'm going! I'm going down to the G League! I'm trying to get one of these ten days."
1: Amazing. Amazing. I mean, we know he can still dunk. I mean, it was just a couple weeks ago, he was dunking in socks during practice, which shows the uh, high level of coaching that he's delivering as well. Uh, but yeah, it was probably a wise decision to get the fuck out of Houston right now, because that's just goddamn train wreck. It's a train wreck down there. So yeah, I'm not surprised that, you know, even if he doesn't get a 10 day, he's going to be like, yeah, I'm actually still good. I'm good. You know, I don't really want to come back to the organization (laughs) and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll find another path back into the, the league. But, uh, Lance Stevenson, man, if, if Gerald green can come out and do a fraction of what Lance Stevenson did. He'll be he'll be on a team in no time. Uh, but that was the most electric first quarter I've seen since Lance Stevenson has been in a Pacers jersey. Nobody has been able to light up the crowd and score like that. I mean, he set a record. It's the most points uh, in a first quarter off the bench in Pacers history. Uh, which and it was like he scored 20 points in six minutes. Uh, I mean, granted, he only finished with like 20 or 30 30 points, I think he finished with so it wasn't you know the whole game. And he, yes, he had some turnovers and all that, all the good Lance Stevenson stuff was was on display. Uh, but really, dude, I mean, he stole the show in that first quarter. He goes off for 20, Kyrie doesn't make a bucket until the second quarter, and it looked like the Pacers were gonna fucking destroy the Mm. Nets, but that was also part of. Uh, you know, seeing Kyrie evolve and and how important he's going to be to this Nets team moving forward was the second half and how they built back and how great he was on the court. Uh, Kyrie was, but Lance, man, I'm excited. I hope he's. I hope he, f- he sticks on the roster. I mean, I think they could use him. You know, especially with the randomness of COVID and injuries, all that good stuff. But um, I mean, we saw we saw the mass arrivals to these teams. We're I think we're gonna see as players recover from COVID somewhat of a mass exodus so it'll be interesting to see who actually you know grabs a hold of a spot like a lance stevenson like an isaiah thomas who i don't know if that's going to work or all these g league guys uh but i hope he i hope he sticks with indiana it's it's a lot of fun to see him out there it'd be nice and i was on
0: our on our top shot uh reddit last night and i'm just like can you just give lance stevenson a moment can we see him strumming the guitar in that game because that's a great moment and for a collector like myself like those are moments that i would like to have and uh, you know it's just good to see Lance doing that. Um, so I want to talk about your boys right now, real quick. I want to talk about the Lakers. Uh, it came out this week that they were entertaining, you know, offers about Russell Westbrook. They were covertly, I'm quoting in air because that's that's what was said, covertly fielding offers for Russell. So they were actively looking to get rid of him. It's it's very public right now that. DJ and Kent Bazemore, they're trying to clean up, uh, clear up space, clear up space on the bench for somebody else. Rondo's in Cleveland right now. They got, you know, that clears up about four million for them. Um, But they're trying to get rid of a couple seats, trying to bring in somebody and kind of reshift or reshuffle the deck with the Lakers, who are actually playing pretty well right now. But what do you think about these moves that have been talked about?
1: Well, the Rondo move—that's uh, something we, we're going to get into with our guy Spencer Davies in the in an interview coming up later in this podcast. So I'll leave that for that. Uh, but the Rondo move from a Lakers perspective was entirely because of Russell Westbrook. Like Rondo and him don't—they don't—they don't belong on the same court together, and we just decided to go a different route. So I thought it was good to move on from Rondo from for for the Lakers because he was just sitting there and not playing. And I don't know how how you know great of a mood he's in. We know he's a moody guy at times, um, and even though he's a you know savvy veteran, we don't need another savvy veteran. We have twenty seven of them. So, uh, good move for the Lakers to get off Rondo. Uh, good move for the GM to be looking to move Russ. I, I'm I'm excited that he was covertly or not. Uh, looking at deals for Russell Westbrook because that's what he needs to do that's what Palinka needs to do he needs to look at every single viable option for this team uh, including Russ Um, and I think some something that's interesting now is that uh, again the whole time I don't I've been saying I don't think Russ will be moved this year I still don't necessarily see that as something that's going to happen this year even with this news Uh, but you know the Lakers saying that DeAndre Jordan and Kent Bazemore are on the trading block it's like I don't even know if uh, if Any GM in the NBA checked their phone twice after seeing that was, (laughs) you know, something that they could get. I don't know a single team who's like, perfect. Let's get Baysmore. I need Baysmore right now. Let's get, let's get DeAndre Jordan. Let's get those guys on our team. I just don't see it. And, you know, potentially it'll work with, you know, just, just teams managing depth right now. Like if they want a big DeAndre Jordan is a serviceable big, serviceable big, I guess. But look at Bismack Biombo. I would want Biyombo way more than I would want DeAndre Jordan at this stage. Um, so you know, the conversation about whether or not we can actually make a trade has always been revolving around what can we possibly give up. So we'll see if anyone takes a nibble on the old Baysmore Jordan package, and we can slide somebody good into our roster. I just don't know who that's going to be. Uh, I, my wish list is i mean really it's i would love i would love another guy who can score the ball who can shoot relatively well so like eric gordon is a guy that we've brought up every once in a while i think he's prime for the picking um a guy that spencer davies brings up later is terrence ross who i also think is a very tradable guy but uh for the lakers it's just it's just news to make news right now you know it's it sounds it sounds like palinka is putting this information out so that people know that he's trying to do stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if it's covertly gonna,
0: working. Yeah. It's not going to
1: matter, but he's like, no, 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 no. Just write a report says I was covertly trying to, to see what's up for Russ so that the Lakers fans get off my back. Uh, and so that's what it feels like to me. Nothing, nothing actually important yet. How about that? That Russ
0: zero turnovers for the first time in 407 games, March, March 14th, 2016 was the last time he didn't have a turnover in a game, right? And mind you, when you, when you have the ball all the time, you're going to turn the ball over. I get it. But to go 407 games with always having a turnover, crazy stat, right?
1: It's almost six years, man. <laughs> it's almost six years. You would assume that like randomly one of those games over six years, he would not have a turnover. And of course, you know, it comes in the Sacramento game uh where where we we actually ended up winning, which was nice we have won a few games it's against all shit teams so it's nothing to write home about uh but I mean that's Russell Westbrook in a nutshell right I ca- like I, ca- I kind
0: of want to bring up that game because that's what I wanted to get into next and I brought it up on the last show and I think the show prior but I'm not liking this LeBron James drew I'm not liking this this version of him right I I am the biggest LeBron James fan, but I had mentioned, like, the, the ball grabbing, the the stuff. Oh, you're talking he, about,
1: like, all the extra stuff.
0: I'm talking about this game against the Sacramento Kings turning around, screaming at the bench that I'm that motherfucker, right? I've never seen him do this before, right? And I think it's great. Like, I, I get emotion. And you're the king, though, dog. Like, we call you the king. We expect this from you. And you're doing this against Sacramento on a Tuesday night, right? Like do this against Phoenix or Golden State Warriors. It just it reminds me of <laughs> this is a, this is a good analogy. It reminds me of when Hulk Hogan went to de- NWO, right, and he became the bad guy. In my eyes, right now, like LeBron is turning into the bad guy for me, and I love LeBron. It just seems so out of character for him to be doing some of this stuff, and it rubs me the wrong way. And again, this could be Grandpa Clips. Get off my long Clips. With the, the, just like. the the disrespect kind of, of what is not in his character. And like, who are you yelling at? Are you yelling at Rashawn Holmes? Like, is is he really getting on your nerves that bad?
1: What's the deal? Um, So it just bugged me. It bugged me, Drew. Yeah, I get it. I mean, and, and to be fair, I think that's something that has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way in this period, but also like throughout his career. I mean, for me, it started when he got the chosen one tattooed across his back. We can't forget that he still got that tattoo. Uh, you know the fact that he wants to be referred to by like by everyone as the king. I don't really enjoy that either. And so, like this is the this is the problem, the dichotomy of being a Laker fan right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that this guy that I did not? I was not fond of LeBron. I always respected his game, but you know, growing up, and for most Lakers fans, it's like, nah, kind of, you know, it is what it is. Like he, he's he's a good player, but he's not he's not my king, right? Um, and so I I've felt that way about LeBron since he's been in the NBA. I think he always is a little bit extra. I think he I think he really likes when the cameras on him. I think he's aware that the cameras on him a lot, and everything he does, I think, is calculated to like. Some degree. So, in this instance, right now in this season, I think what he's doing is he's trying to make noise, I think, to to try and get more people voting for him for MVP. And I mean this sincerely. The guy is playing at an MVP level right now. He's scored 30 points in in like eight straight games. Uh, Killing it. He's, yeah. So, I mean, as far as on the court, I, I can't ask for any more. And I'm a huge fan of him on the basketball court playing the game of basketball. But all the extra stuff clips, I could do without it, just like you. Like if it was, if he was doing that to Cameron Payne and the
0: Phoenix Suns or something <laughs> like that, like I would totally be down for that. It was just to me in January doing that against yeah. the Kings, which a shitty team, like you had said, they're not shitty, but you know what I'm saying? No, right? they
1: are. I mean, they're they're just as shitty as the Lakers. We, I mean, we beat them by eight points, and they've taken us to triple overtimes and beat us. And uh, so yeah, I, I maybe there is a little rivalry there because the Kings think they're plucky and they don't know they're talking to the King. Man, it's the real I'm, king against the Kings.
0: <laughs> man, I am so I'm on an emotional roller coaster once again with my Clippers. Um, there's not much to say, man. And again, I, I take full responsibility, Clipper Nation, for jinxing our team. We now have 11 players in, in health and safety protocol. Like even even last week after we did our show, I'm. And another player went down. I'm like, oh god! thank at least we have Luke Kennard that's going to go out there and ball. And then it's like Luke Kennard has now entered Health and safety protocols. Exactly. Like, okay. Oh shit! So now we have a, we just have a bunch of of guys, man. Xavier Moon, I uh, Wynnian Gabriel, who I actually liked. I liked him in Portland. I had mentioned to a couple of my Portland fan friends when I watched him play. I'm like, I like that kid. I think he'd, he'd be a really good player. But now he's on our team um we had a great game against Brooklyn we beat them with nobody you know Terrence Mann had an awesome night in his you know come he was born in Brooklyn it was a big game for the Clippers to win but then we come back and uh, against Minnesota and get our ass kicked right and again this goes Bledsoe had a huge game against Brooklyn and then against Minnesota uh, people were texting me left and right and I'm like did he forget how to play basketball <laughs> again and he's been doing so well but Look, we have we have Phoenix again tonight. This is gonna be tough for the Clippers. We dropped down to eighth right now. We went from fifth to eighth in a week. Uh and we're not the only team dealing with this. I, I get it. I think Ty Lu is still in Toronto. I don't think he has been able to leave yet. He was the first wow, Amer- he was the first American person to like get COVID coming from America. And they're very strict up there. I, I think he's still there, if I'm not mistaken. I could be completely wrong, but we don't have our coach. We don't have our guys. Um, it's funny because everybody wants to start voting for all-stars. And it's like, I want to vote for Paul George. I think he should be an all-star. But like, is he even going to be playing? Are any of these guys going to be playing? Right. Are we, ha- we going to have an all-star game? So I think the next two weeks are going to be big for everybody here, man. And if, and if we're going to have this same group of G League guys, uh, we're, we might we might drop to 10-11 quick. Man. <laughs> like this, this ship might be
1: sinking as we, as we speak, right? Well, so then do you look to make a move, right? We talked about the Lakers. We have brought this up from time to time on the podcast, right. but it seems like now would be the time, right? Like because Paul George is out and everyone else is going through COVID mostly, uh, do, do you think it's time for you guys to really like just go, go try and get an Eric Gordon, try, go try and get a Cole Anthony.
0: No, to what? To, to put a band aid on it. Like you like right. to say, I don't think if we're healthy, we're a great team. If everybody's playing, and that's not even cl- including Kawhi, right? So Paul George has about another week and a half, uh, two weeks to get reevaluated for the elbow. Like it, 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 I'm fine with even Paul George being out. But I need the rest of the – I need Hartenstein there. Ibaka's been playing great. I need Bledsoe to figure it out, this this teeter-totter of, like, I can play basketball and ball or, or like, I'm completely worthless, right? <laughs> and it's funny because when when Bledsoe had the big game against Brooklyn, a lot of people hit me up. Hey, your boy Bled. You watching your boy Bled? Yeah, and then guess what happens the next night? I'm like, yo, you watching Bled right now? <laughs> Are you watching Bled? Um, so if, if everybody's healthy, if, if T-Man and, and Luke and, and, and Hartenstein and the rest of these guys uh, – are healthy, I'm fine with that. And I'd, I'll take the L to Minnesota if right. if if all those guys are healthy. Yeah, so I in don't... two
1: weeks, if everyone's back except for maybe Paul George, you're fine. And I'm it's fine. not panic time.
0: I'm not panic time, right? I, be- I mean, I'm disappointed, man. But like we've said, every team's dealt with this. If we can bounce back, like Chicago had to deal with it a lot uh, with their COVID, but then they got everybody healthy. And then I think Zach had to go back into, to protocol or is Lonzo, excuse me. I think it was Lonzo had to go back into protocol, but w- w- let's just reevaluate another week, man, and see where we're at. I do like watching these young guys. I think when when, when and Xavier moon, who we gave another 10 day contract to, I think they're playing their ass off. They're using this opportunity to, you know, show their skills and maybe get another 10-day contract somewhere else or potentially get signed for the rest of the season. You know, it, it, do we need him? Will he, Will Xavier Moon be at the end of the bench if the rest of these guys come back? Yeah, but it's been fun to watch him. Um, you know, we mentioned Chicago, and I think we should take one second here and really give some flowers we're big on giving flowers and the DeRozan talk is real man like DeMar DeRozan right now you can say Jokic you can say uh KD but DeMar DeRozan is is the MVP right now in my mind you know some numbers that are crazy he leads the NBA in fourth quarter points he's shooting 53 54 and 88 percent in the fourth quarter um and when you're scoring that in the fourth quarter, that's how you close ball games. We saw this week, he had two back-to-back game winners, right? He wants the ball in his hands. He wins. And, you know, you can go back to season one, season two of the follow through with clips and drew. And, you know, we were calling him DeMar DeFrozen because that's what he was uh, in the playoffs or in the big moments at times. But we also forget, man, like this guy's really, really good in, in, he's an undervalued, underappreciated player, Uh, But he's playing out of his mind right now. It's working in Chicago and the
1: numbers are there to prove it. Yeah, they won eight in a row. And, you know, they did have some games postponed. Usually what that means is like they'll end up with a couple back to backs that could catch up with them. Right. Uh, In in like March or something like that. Uh, But their recovery through missing so many players in a row. To just come right back and, and immediately start this eight-game win streak is, is unbelievable. And, yeah, it's been on the back of DeMar DeRozan for the most part. And those two game winners were unbelievable. The one-legged, the one-legged shot uh, against, what was that, Indiana? Yeah. Against the Pacers, the one legged one. And then the, the, the pump fake, you know, in, against double coverage in the corner from three, mind you. Right. Like the guy we all know, he can't shoot threes. Oh, wait a second. Game winner. Three pointer. How about that? Um, so huge. And I agree. I think he's definitely up there for MVP. I mean, to me,
0: they're first. They're in first right
1: now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. After that win streak, they're in first They They leapfrog the Nets. They're up by, I believe, two games on the Nets right now. They only have 10 losses. Uh, Damar has to be in the MVP conversation for sure. But like, I, you know, for me, it's Steph, Kevin Durant, Jokic are my top three. And those three guys are insane and they're playing unbelievable. And so is DeMar. So then like, you know, then we go down the list. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe DeMar, maybe Giannis, maybe Embiid, who's doing really well, but he's certainly in the conversation for the first time in his entire career. I mean, he's never been a guy that's been close to the MVP race, a guy that's been, a first-team All-NBA guy, which right now he un- undoubtedly is. I think the thing with Chicago that is potentially the, the most intriguing is how good Billy Donovan is doing managing this whole thing. Uh And to me, he's my, my coach of the season. Like, my coach of the year is right now. It's Billy Donovan, even though – you know, Monty Williams and Steve Kerr are all doing great. Steve Nash, all that stuff. I, you know, no one expected the Bulls to hit the ground running like this, including I would have to imagine, including them. I don't think they thought it was going to be this good through the first 35, 40 games of the season. But Billy Donovan has this squad clicking. Even with all the, the missing pieces, uh, even with, you know, Patrick Williams going down, for the whole season they haven't they they don't they don't need anything i mean that's the interesting thing is like people are like well what do they need like what i'm hearing is like oh should they make a move you know i i i wouldn't i wouldn't make any moves unless it's like to get a backup center that would be the one thing like if they can snag a a more traditional large backup center or even a small ball five that can stretch that would be the only addition that i would have for them but they're in I mean, deandre such, jordan deandre jordan's available oh he stretch five right there dj do they want Bazemore? We'll take we'll take we'll take whoever they were gonna let go. Uh, the Bulls are a complete team. I think Vucevic is very very good as a center. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, like looking looking forward to the playoffs, how he would handle uh, Embiid, how he would handle Giannis, and how he might handle some of the small ball lineups like the like the the, the Nets and Miami would potentially throw out there. Uh, And I do think if if they're going to make a deep run, he's going to have to do very well. Bucevic is going to have to do really well defensively against whatever the matchup is. But great job for them. I don't see them slowing down at all at all. I think we
0: should stay on the Eastern Conference. This is a great segue right now. Uh, You know, we've we've talked a little bit about the Cavs in the Eastern Conference recently, but we thought it'd be special to bring our boy Spencer Davies in from basketballnews.com. He has his own podcast called Keeping It 94. He works for the Cleveland Cavaliers, covers them. So we sat down with Spence and talked a lot of basketball. This is going to be our interview. All right, so we've kind of ignored the Cavs for a little bit. Drew and I have touched on them on the past few episodes. We thought it would be great to bring in our friend, our colleague at BasketballNews.com, Spencer Davies, host of Keeping It 94, also available on uh, the BasketballNews.com podcast network. Spence, we're here to talk Cavs. You're the right person to have, so welcome back on the show. I'm
2: glad to be back, man. And it's good to see your face. It's been a little while. You know, last time was in person. We were in Vegas, but, uh, you know, this is all right. This is what you saw.
0: This works. This works, man. Look, Drew and I wanted to have you on because I, th- I think there's been like just a huge cultural shift on the Cavs. And since you're a guy that deals with these guys day to day, you know, first off, like what have you seen that has been different from this season than last season?
2: Uh, they are confident that they can beat anybody. Uh, it really starts with Darius Garland. Um, he's in somebody who (laughs) takes offense at the notion that they're somehow an underdog. Uh, he's actually believing that they're one of the best in the league. Um, the fact that the Cavs have taken down opponents over 500, almost, you know, with regularity this season. Uh, I know that they've lost five out of seven, but you can also kind of credit that to the health and safety protocols guys being out. Uh, they just lost Isaac Okoro for about a month now uh, with an injury, which sucks for them. You already know that they lost Ricky Rubio for the season with the ACL injury. Colin Sexton went down with a meniscus tear in November. So they've kind of been snake bitten from that point, but the attitude has been the same no matter who's been on the floor. And I think that's what really separates them from the rest. And it it all starts with Darius Garland is, is, is their leader. You know, they've got JB Bickerstaff who everybody they're buying into what he's selling. And uh, he's doing a tremendous job and should be, you know, one of those top candidates for coach of the year because of how much he's reached t- into his players uh, to get that out of them every night, no matter who's been on the floor and no matter who they faced.
1: I think obviously Garland has really stood out this year. That point is, is very clear. I think he's borderline all all-star. Do you think he's going to make the all-star team? Uh,
2: not if DeMar DeRozan is listed as a guard <laughs> that those, those returns just came out on a Thursday afternoon And I believe Darius was somewhere in the top 10, along with Fred Van Vliet, but uh, you know, DeRozan's listed as a backcourt player. That makes it really tough. Good news for Cavs fans is that Jared Allen was in sixth place in the front court. So there's a possibility that he could make the all-star game. Uh, It would be cool for, you know, one of those two or both by, by, you know, by some, you know, great uh, coincidence to make the all-star game in Cleveland. I, at the same time, I think it's really tough uh, to do that. I think that, uh, his play has been at that all-star level though. It's kind of just been the, the aggressiveness that's really taken me uh, uh, back a little bit, just seeing what he did his first couple of years. You'd see flashes of it. I know clips remembers the game uh, in LA that they played. Right. I think his rookie year that he looks tremendous, but he hasn't had that consistently this season. He's really taken it upon himself to take shots. He's not turning them down anymore. And he's got, the, flo- the, the, the floater threat, which can turn into lobs now. Teams don't know how to react because he doesn't know what he's doing until the last, last millisecond. So how is that easier on a defender to know whether he's throwing a lob up or throwing a floater? Uh, he's coming off of screens and shooting mid-rangers from time to time. He's pulling up from three. He's doing catch threes, playing off the ball. Interested to see what happens uh, with Rondo because R- Rubio eh, pretty much brought out the best in Garland when he was playing off the ball, almost like a, a faux shooting guard per se. Uh, Garland's been more aggressive on the defensive end. He's definitely taken a little bit more chances, but that's also because he's got three seven footers behind him. So every aspect he's just really improved at. And it's just kind of tough as a defender because he's so shifty and he makes these decisions really quickly.
0: They said, I was listening to an interview where they asked Darius about you know, if he wants to be an all-star or not. And he's like, dude, I don't care. Like, I don't care if I'm an all-star. I'm just trying to win games. I want to win games for this team. And that's kind of the mentality you want. Um, but if DeMar is there, then definitely he's not going to have a shot. You would want to have one of one of your Cavs playing in that game. You know, I obviously I watch every Clipper game and I remember Drew and I did a show immediately after Cleveland kicked our ass. And the game was over in the beginning, dude, because I was like, they are so long and so big. We couldn't go anywhere on the court with these guys. And that's what impressed me the most in the beginning. But when we were talking, you were talking about Darius, there's, there's something that's going to happen in the next year or so where you're going to probably have to pay this guy. You're going to have to give him that rookie extension. Do you think they're going to give him that? And do you think he's worth that?
2: No brainer. No brainer. Yep. Yep. Uh, He's still quite young the the question about you know Colin Sexton and him you know coexisting in the same backcourt i think uh is still something that that's on a lot of people's minds but at the same time you know Colin being out for the year you have to think that that's going to cost him in free agency a little bit he's a restricted free agent there's definitely a chance he comes back uh maybe not in the same role that he was playing beforehand uh, especially if they find a shooting guard to make it work or depending on what happens here coming up at the trade deadline, whatever they decide to do in that aspect. But Darius Garland is unequivocally the, you know, the guy that you're, you're building around. And then eventually that's going to turn into Evan Mobley, but then you have a two-headed monster and then you can't leave out old Jared Allen, who I just mentioned is sixth in all-star voting right now in the front court because of his impact and what he's doing, not only on the defensive end, just kind of being that, that stopper at the rim, but also just being the finisher on the other ends of, of, Darius's lobs and uh the receiver of those pocket passes uh he's even worked in some post game his footwork if you look at some of his possessions uh where they're they're letting him you know work a little bit and, and show a little something different there in the post back to basket he's got some great footwork the jump hook is falling oh my god it looks great uh <laughs> such a such a soft touch too uh extra possessions whatever it is so it, it you know it's funny you know Everybody looking at the draft to say, why did they draft Evan Mobley? Evan Mobley is a seven-footer. Well, as I wrote pre-season, Evan Mobley is a seven-footer, but he's a guard in a seven-footer's body. And he's going to be playing the four for that team for a while. And those two have just worked out perfectly next to each other because of the differences in their games.
1: I think that was the the most interesting and the most noticeable thing about the cabs to begin the season is the three headed seven foot monster with marking in out there. And then you got love coming in, uh, who, you know, is a little smaller, but not that much smaller. And he's been fantastic this year. Surprising, I think to everybody, uh, the defense I think is obviously something you can hang your hat on when you have that length and it gives those guards the opportunity to try a little bit harder and pressure that ball because they're not necessarily worried about rim protection. Uh, do you see this as like the plan moving forward for the remainder of the season? And do you think that's that like being able to hang your hat on that level of consistent defense is what's going to actually get you into the playoffs this year?
2: No question. Uh, that's where they make their bread and butter. And it's off of those deflections. It's off of those, you know, one and duns per se it's off of, you know, getting into transition and really making it work. Uh, I-, I think that, the way that Lowry Markin has played defense this year is not being talked about enough because you know, you're looking at the slump he's going through right now from the three point line. And it is awful. He has not been able to shoot uh, a three for a good month now, but defensively the way that he's actually bodying guys up uh, he's using his length and his arms to create that kind of, I don't know that disruption, I guess is the way to, that you could call it. Uh, I, I think has been awesome. Um, And, you know, you look at Evan Mobley. It's funny when I look at Mobley and Allen as those back two, they do it differently. So Allen's the guy that guys try to go into with contact. And Allen's going to say no every time. They're going to try to posterize Allen. You don't see people trying to posterize Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley's always hanging out there on the perimeter uh, or on the baseline, right? And once guys drive past one or two defenders, they think they have an open lane or they think they can finish. And here comes Evan Mobley out of nowhere with a weak side block. That's how he plays defense. And whenever you try to switch out on one of Jared Allen or Evan Mobley, they're quick enough on their feet and fast enough to cover that ground that it's not really a mismatch that these coaches thought it was. And I think you saw that in the first couple of weeks of the season. These these guards were not be able to get past these 7 footers who you think just by looking at 7 foot, you know, 240, 245 and these guys can't uh, move as fast as my guards. No, no, they actually do have a little bit of, (laughs) uh, of versatility to them. Maybe, you know, Mobley more than Allen. I mean, have you seen Mobley, the ground that he covers? Uh, I think one time there was somebody who kicked out a three pointer from the, the paint. um, And he went from the paint to the corner in like two steps. And I think blocked the ball. Like, those are the kind of like freakish things that Mobley's good at and he's going to be an all-worldly defender. He already is an all-worldly defender to be honest with
0: you. Um, so, but speaking, yeah. Allen's the stronger one. Speaking of Allen or speaking of uh Mobley, like how how high do you think his ceiling is then? Cuz a lot of people don't get to see a lot of Cavs games, right? Like we see highlights uh but how high is his ceiling? Cuz everybody's talking rookie of the year which He definitely should be, even though my boy Franz is right on, right on his tail, if not doing better right now, but how high is, is, is the ceiling for Evan Mobley? Well, let's start with, with one there. You
2: mentioned Franz Wagner. You mentioned, you know, Scotty Barnes is in that, that conversation and they should be, Uh, but I'm looking at the Cavs being 21 and 17 and they've only lost seven games with Evan Mobley playing. Mm. That is a ridiculous statistic. Mm -hmm. It's a ridiculous statistic that Evan Mobley has changed this defense the way that he has, as a 20 year old what's ridiculous is Evan Mobley being able to adapt, not from a game before, not from two games before, but in the moment to adapt after a mistake, to be able to to compartmentalize and process and put into action, whatever he did wrong, that last possession. And it doesn't happen again. Like it's those intangibles. It's that intelligence that separates Evan Mobley. Then you look at the physical ability uh, of being able to, guard one through five Mm -hmm. and offensively he's a little bit further along than we all thought he would be i mean he's not like knocking down three after three after three but he's able to stretch the floor enough to where they're paying attention to him he's also able to pull up his ball handling can use some some work yeah but he's not gonna have the ball in his hands too much they're gonna use him as a you know a hub kind of uh, out there on the perimeter and dribble handoffs or uh you know at at the nail and dribble handoffs whatever it has to be He can finish lobs um He's, he's working on the, you know, the hook shots or whatever, but that's not where he's used. And he's not like highly used on offense. Only when the other guys are out, like you saw, um, you know, in the game a few, a few, uh, a few games ago. So that's, that's where I see the, him right now, but I'm wondering when they're going to implement his offensive skill set a little bit more, maybe with this point guard shortage, it, it'll happen that way, but it sounds like they're going to play Rajon Rondo quite a bit. Based based off the press conference yesterday.
1: Well, yeah, I also think that, you know, three years down the line, he's much more comfortable as the stretch four, right, like just with the constant work that he's going to get in the off seasons and the reps and the open shots he's going to get, you know, feasibly with Garland being able to go the basket. uh, And now with Rondo on the team, which is. I think the first trade that we've had this season is is, is Rondo's trade. The, the first only, the only, trade? yeah, bro. the first and only trade. Is it really?
2: I didn't see. I <laughs> didn't know that.
1: Did I didn't know it, that. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, there's just been no no movement on that at that end because of COVID. I think, but. The fact that you guys are in whatever the five seed right now at this stage, you had the loss of Sexton early. Rubio plays maybe the best stretch of basketball in his entire NBA career and then unfortunately goes down. You make the move for Rondo now. I think that might have been maybe one of the more savvy pickups that you could have slotted in there to maybe reproduce what Rubio was able to do on a lower scoring efficiency level. But I'm excited to see Rondo on this team. I think he's going to flourish. He has not been doing very well or playing even at all for the Lakers, but I think this could be like a little boost for him unless he really hates the situation. But what do you see with Rondo coming in? Do you think that's something that you can kind of maintain the course with him now? Uh, I was indifferent
2: when I saw the, the trade. Well, one, I know the Cavs weren't giving up much. Denzel Valentine hadn't been playing at all. So it was just like, okay. Um, And, and, To their credit, they did address the backup point guard situation in one game. They did in a matter of three days. So that was very smart and very proactive on their part. I'm looking at Rondo. I'm seeing 35 years old. I'm not sure how much he has uh, physically in him, but I asked him that straight up yesterday. Like, how do you feel about filling in a role for Rubio? Rubio was playing 28 to 30 minutes a night. Sometimes he'd be playing 35 to 36. You know, he's five years older than Rubio. So I was... uh, the the immediate question that came to my mind was, is he going to be able to handle that kind of load? Rondo came back to me and was just like, I I pride myself on being in good shape. I have 4.2% body fat. I was like, holy shit. But, uh, (laughs) you know, know, he's always staying conditioned, staying ready. I don't think he's going to play as much as that. Uh, But, you know, 20 to 25 minutes or so, I bet he'll fill in like that. I, I think you can't learn from a better point card, per se, from a better floor general than Rajon Rondo. I, I don't think that there's a debate there. My my main concern when it was coming in was just how, in the past, Rajon, if he wasn't bought into a place, right. that he'd kind of go through the motions.
0: He'd check out.
2: But from what the first impression of, of JB, he told me, was that you know he doesn't have time for the bullshit. Is literally was his exact words. So with that having another veteran like Kevin Love there helps. You know, uh, Rajon talked about, you know, being on a young team and and you know, taking tips from JB because he might want to be a head coach in the future or a coach in the future. Maybe he embraces that part. The on-floor situation, I think it it'll be a solid match in heaven with him and and Garland because well, one him and Garland know each other from a previous time. They actually worked out together in L.A. a couple years ago, he shared. And Garland was the first one to reach out to him after the trade. So that relationship's already there. Uh, The on-floor relationship between those two should be probably the similar as Rubio and Garland was. Just Mm -hmm. uh, Garland playing off the ball, coming to it, um, catch shoots, you know, um, having Garland cut to the basket a little bit. I think that's going to be fine. I think Rajan's looking forward to playing with the seven footers. He's throwing, he's going to want to throw lobs <laughs> yeah. and he knows how to throw lobs. <laughs> We've seen it in the past guys. Right. Uh, defensively. I think that he's, you know, he's got really long arms. You know, he's not the tallest guy, but he's got long arms and he can be disruptive. So, you know, from that perspective, I'm like, yeah, you know, it could work. Uh, but I think we'll know quickly. I think we'll know quickly if this is going to be the guy to replace Rubio or to fill in for Rubio, or if they're going to go for something else in the deadline.
0: How, how um, excited are you to hear the term playoff Rondo (laughs) 16,000 times when you guys make the playoffs? Cause it's the worst being Clippers and Lakers drew and I, playoff rondo you will hear many many times yeah you know you know i put that in the article when i reacted to
2: the trade i i I, I didn't say it in that exact way i was like like because i was weighing the pros and the cons of the trade and i said that you know the pros is everybody knows his reputation in the postseason playoff (laughs) rondo it's what he does but in all seriousness though like He does turn it up in the postseason, and that's huge for those young guys. I mean, even if they don't get past the first round or second round, having that experience, having a guy like that in the building uh, would be helpful just from a knowledge standpoint and the wisdom. I I think, you know, Rondo, you know, he's going to have the occasional times where he's not going to have the best shooting nights, but he's been proven to be a decently capable shooter from three. You know, Rubio, that was something that he was, you know, killed for. Um, you know, for most of his career is not being able to shoot. Rondo, I think, can be on that level where Rubio is as a shooter. Uh, I don't think he's going to drive quite as much as Rubio was and be able to do the drives and kicks. But I think that uh, just having him in the half court is going to really make a difference. It's not even about, uh, you know, the fast break stuff to me. I think, you know, having somebody in the half court to do that, and especially in a postseason setting, would be very advantageous.
1: Yeah, I think if you're going to get even, you know, 90, 85, 90 percent of what Rondo gave to the Lakers in that 2020 championship in the bubble, you're going to be in great hands. It just is whether or not he actually wants to to be there and whether or not he wants to engage.
2: Yes, that uh, was exactly what yeah. I, that was, was exactly what I was trying to, to tell people. I was like, if he buys in, it's a good.
1: move. Yeah, that, that's sure.
2: plain and simple.
1: And I think, you know, the interesting thing now is. Sexton as you mentioned unrestricted free agent Rubio is going to be out for a while. This Rondo thing is most most likely a band-aid. I don't think there's any kind of long-term thing there. The decision that the the Cavs are forced with in this next offseason is pretty interesting. Do you see I mean we, we you touched on it briefly already because Sexton's injury potentially he'll, you know, garnish less in the free agency market. But do you see him actually coming back to the Cavs? Like do you think that that's something that would even be advantageous to him and the team, or do you think you'll end up on a different squad?
2: I think it's going to end up, it's going to depend on who has money mm-hmm. and, and that's not easy to really predict on, on who's going to make what offer. We know that he's had, you know, interest with uh, you know, the Knicks, for example, as a team, but they just went out and spent a boatload of money on Evan 48. So that's probably not going to happen. Right. Uh I think that this is going to be a, a prove it type of deal uh, for Colin. He's going to take a one year somewhere and uh, no, you know, kind of bite the bullet and know uh, that he's going to be able to reset for the uh, 2023 free agency. I think that's ultimately what's going to happen. I think that Colin wants to be in Cleveland still. Uh, I think he respects the organization. He understands how much they've backed him. They know how much uh, JB values him for some reason. Uh, There's this notion around, you know, NBA circles, um, not within locker rooms, but just around basketball circles that scoring isn't valuable somehow, but it's literally the most valuable (laughs) skill in the entire game. Yeah, Uh, So I I feel like they know the kind of player and that dog mentality they can use. That's something that they have been missing this year a little bit. And I know that the record kind of, you know, doesn't, it kind of strays away from that fact, but when it does come down to crunch time, you need somebody to be a go getter, and the, the Cavs haven't had that yet this year. And Colin is literally the definition of that. He doesn't care if there's you know seven foot six Boba Marjanovic is in the way. He's gonna take it <laughs> right into his teeth and try to dunk on him, or he's gonna try and draw a foul. Cavs don't have anybody that's really willing to take those hits. They're they're gonna settle for jumpers. They're gonna you know uh, they execute down the stretch. Don't get me wrong, and they get their bigs involved and stuff like that but they don't have a guard that does that. And now with a out, they have even less of that, you know, like, so that is something that I think they need to, they need to get somebody who's aggressive. They need to get that break gla- glass and cage of emergency guy. Like mm-hmm. that, that I think is what Colin ultimately is almost like a Jordan Clarkson type, you know, oh. like, and maybe, and this is the way that, you know, you transition Colin into a different type of role. If he isn't the starting two next season, maybe use your super sub, uh, but I think that there's not many teams out there that will have money to pay him. And then coming off of a meniscus tear, I don't know who's going to pony up that kind of money.
1: Right. It's weird because I really like watching Colin Sexton play. Right. He plays super hard. Sometimes he's a little Ultimate rough underdog. around. Yeah, he's a little rough around the edges. Right. But I mean, you need a little bit of that. I think in any good player any great player has to have a little bit of that. Like I don't give a fuck kind of mentality. Uh, and he certainly has that in droves.
2: Well, you know, he, he actually his rookie season. I, when I asked him who he emulated, you know, growing up, he said, he said, Russell Westbrook was on there. there. It and he said, you know, Eric Bledsoe and John wall, those were his three favorites uh, to watch growing up. And it's funny. Cause you know, you see a little bit of each of them in a little bit.
1: Totally. Well, I think this is an exciting season for the Cavs. I, 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 you know, the way that the East has broken out, if you would have told me with every team getting better, pretty much every team seeming to get better in that middle of the Eastern conference, that the Cavs would be where they are right now. I, you know, I would have, I would have lost the bet that we would have made for sure. Um, It's an exciting thing. I, I have to imagine that it's exciting for the team to be going through this and then looking ahead and being like, you know, I think we can actually, keep this thing moving build something Uh, yeah and yeah not just for this season but like you know several years down the road you can kind of see it lining up i have to imagine that the uh the feeling in the building and amongst the team and the fan base and the city is all it's all fantastic right now right
2: yeah i i think you get that you just listen to the guys talk you listen to you know basically the the sports talk radio on here starting to you know, notice now that Brown season is over. Don't let's not get started there. Uh, (laughs) You know, you read the comments on Twitter and you see the, there's a buzz. There's a real buzz around this team and it's happened in short order, man. Just thinking about where they were a year like ago and to see where they are now. uh, The fact that they're, I think seven games away from breaking their over under total in Vegas Mm -hmm. to start the season. Like they truly have that belief. And, You know, Coach Bickerstaff always says, like, it sounds cliche, but it, like, all started right before training camp. The guys came in two, three weeks before everything started and got together and and really started to to get this thing going. And, you know, you can literally pick out – if you pick one player on the roster, I could tell you something positive that player's done for this team. Mm. Uh, And it's somebody else every other night, and – you know, like there's just contributions coming from everywhere. And it sounds so cliche and it sounds so overtired sports narrative, whatnot. It's truly a team. I think that that's what separates them. And that's what makes them believe more than anybody else.
1: I think the Cavs are this year's Knicks as far as what happened last season. They're overachieving. They're doing it on the defensive end. They have guys popping up and scoring. Uh, If you had a wish list for, like one or two players that you could acquire to really round this off and make this, you know, potentially a season where you make a deep run like the Knicks or the Hawks last year. Do you have one or two guys on your mind? Uh, I I do,
2: but I also want to proceed with caution here because I've, I've said this, you know, twice on a couple other places. You don't want to break up something that doesn't need fixed. You don't want to mess with that kind of element. Almost referred to it like a Jenga board, right? You don't want to pull out the mm-hmm. wrong piece. You, you pull out one. It might stay up, but it could also come crashing down. You, you, you'd you make moves. You make them around the edges. Uh, realistically, I think a good target for them would be like a Terrence Ross or like a, a Gary Harris. You know, like somebody that comes in and, you know, slots into that, you know, second, you know, scoring whatever um, and, and provides a boost in that fashion or a Justin holiday, you know, somebody who's going to cost like a second round pick, right? I'm not going swinging for the fences unless I get someone like a Brandon Ingram, you know, like, or or maybe a Jalen Brown, you know, Jalen Brown obviously is somebody is a name that's out there, but you know, the Ben Simmons stuff, you you can miss me with that. Because it would require someone like a a Darius Garland in the deal or an Evan Mobley in a deal. And you're not going to give that up. Not when you have a core literally establishing yourself. That's, less than 23.5 years old together averaging like you don't, you don't mess with that. I don't care what the win now thing is. You can do both. You can do both.
0: I I agree with you a hundred percent Spence. And I've, I've been very adamant about that. Even with my team, with the Clippers, like I never wanted to get rid of Patrick Beverly. Right. I did not want to get rid of Patrick. Like what's better. Is, is Bledsoe really better than Patrick Beverly? I don't know. Like what they bring to the team. I, I like your saying of, you know, trimming the edges a little bit and bringing in guys like that. That makes a to- total sense. But chemistry and team unity and guys that, that are great for the culture of that specific team, um, it's not worth it getting rid of them. You're so right. And what like what? You're going to get rid of Garland and Jared Allen for Ben Simmons? No. Dude, that makes absolutely no sense, right? So if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it is basically what you're saying, and I agree
2: 100%. It's not a, it's not a game of 2K. Like, and that's Ricky. the other thing too. And you know, that's why, you know, I always put out the importance of veterans. Veterans are so important, man. You're telling me. Okay. So you look at the, the impact that Evan Mobley made yeah, and all that stuff. Right. But you brought in Ricky Rubio, you kept Kevin Love around, which I was, I'll admit I was vocally saying that they should get rid of him. Yeah. Uh, You know, and you bring in someone that doesn't get enough credit on this team and it's Ed Davis and Ed Davis doesn't play. But he makes such a difference just kind of grooming these, these young bigs. He had a previous relationship with him, with, with uh, Jared Allen in Brooklyn before. Right. And now he's helping mold, you know, Evan Mobley a little bit. And what happens, you know, Ed Davis, if two of those guys, three of those guys go down, he's ready to play. He came in and, and played the, I think it was the Warriors or the Nets or something. He grabbed 17 rebounds. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it, it's those kind of guys that don't get enough credit that that make a difference in a season like this and and with a young team and that's why i I kind of just laugh when i see like a a roster like the thunder or you know i see a roster like you know houston for example that don't have their vets if you don't have your vets you can't just roll out a bunch of 20 year olds and oh dude eric
0: Eric gordon has to hate life right now i was bringing it up with a friend the other day like he's just got to walk into work every day like man fuck this place right i deserve to be somewhere
1: Okay. Well, that's a that's another guy that the Cavs could potentially go after. Eric Gordon would be great. I think that would be There's a lot of great money
2: guy. to try and match up. Yeah, though, I don't know if the value would really go there. Yeah, bit. you're right. You're right. But but no, yeah, I like it.
1: I but no, the Terrence Ross thing. I think both that that guy, whether it's the Cavs or not, I think he deserves to be on a team because he's like exactly the kind of off the bench or starter that can just make a, a lot of people around here. It.
2: A lot of people around here, you know, mentioning uh, someone like a Karis Levert because of what Woj put out there and you know, that would probably work too, just depending on what the return would need to be. Right. You know, Cam Reddish is a hot name around all NBA right now because of what he's done in Atlanta. And, you know, rightfully so, but like I, those are the, you know, the type of names that I think would be, would, would cost a little bit more than per se for a Gary Harris or a Terrence Ross or a Justin holiday. I'm thinking of guys that won't cost you much. And it's the same thing. Like they went out and got Rondo for basically a second rounder and they didn't lose anybody. Uh, that, that, that's a type of move that I think would make sense. Or you wait for the buyout market after the trade deadline and see what happens there.
1: So I think the potentially the more exciting thing that's going to happen here for the Cavs is not necessarily for the Cavs, but you have this Warriors game coming up on Sunday and we expect that to be the return of Clay Thompson. I know that we're shifting here a bit, but I do think it's going to be cool for whatever team it is that's going to face this guy, it's going to be a tough game, right? Because the energy is going to be really insane. Uh, but I've been very much looking forward to Clay Thompson's return. I'm sure all of us have. Uh, what are our expectations for Clay to be out there? Because what I've heard from uh, the Warriors and from fans, they expect him to start the game, which is something I didn't, I didn't think I enjoyed as much as him, like coming in in the first quarter to a huge ovation. But what are, Spence, what are your expectations for Clay's debut and then his return in general?
2: I just said this on my podcast. I was like, I think he's just going to slot right in. I, it's not like these are teammates he doesn't know. It's not like these teammates don't remember how to play with him. It's going it's to affect Andrew Wiggins a little more. It's going to affect Kevon Looney a little more, Jordan Poole, and, you know, Gary Payton. These are the guys that are going to need to learn how to adjust. But Steph and Draymond and Iguodala, they're not going to know, not know how to play with him. So like that I think is cool because it's not like clay is demanding the ball, like as a ball handler or anything like that. He's just always in his right spots. He's always cutting baseline or he's catching, shooting like right away. This is a guy who doesn't dribble. Like, so he's going to come and slot right in easily. I think, I I think it's going to take no time. It's, it's those, it's those guys I mentioned earlier, Otto Porter, these guys that haven't played with him. They're just going to have to get used to where he's at on the floor and those spots and whatnot. I will say, it sucks. Cause I wish I would be able to see Isaac Okoro chase him around all day. All right. Uh, Isaac is such a solid off ball defender, uh, that it would have been really fun to watch like from like an, a live perspective. Cause when I saw him chasing around Steph, it was just awesome. Uh, but, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, Lamar Stevens will actually surprise a lot of people. will be able to stay attached to him a little bit. Uh, but I mean, Clay's going to be clay that I think there's no, no doubt about that.
0: All right. So we, we have only a few minutes left. I want to get your, your, your final thought on where you think the Cavs are going to end up, where are they going to end up in the playoffs? Are you getting out of the first round? Are you in the, are you in the buy-in round? What's happening?
2: That's a great question, man. And you know, I I hate giving these predictions because I'm looking at a team like the Hawks right now, and they basically ran it back, and they're three games under 500. But they they went all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. You know, they then they decided to bring back their cast, and now they're not not able to stop anything Mm -hmm. on the defensive end. Like it's crazy. Uh, In the moment, right now, I think the Cavs they'll be right where around like where they're at right now. Uh, you know whether that is in the play-in or, or they're in the normal play playoff, you know, um, standings here. I personally think they'll finish like seventh or eighth. I don't know. Maybe that's counting them low. And if if so, then you know, so be it. But this Eastern Conference is just so stacked, man. Like, and, and you know, you look at the Heat, who've been playing without anybody this year, and somehow <laughs> they're nine games over five hundred. We have yet to see Milwaukee turn it on, really. Uh, Brooklyn, they just got Kyrie back part-time. Chicago is just rolling right now because DeMar's leading the MVP race, you know, in some circles. Uh, It's tough. Toronto's on fire. They've won four in a row now. Charlotte, they also can't defend a stick, but they can score a lot of points. (laughs) Like, it's it's bunched up, man. Uh, So I don't like giving, like, these predictions because they go back and bite me. Uh, but I think they certainly can be competing for a playoff spot. And at, at worst, they play in spot. I, I think, so. I think
0: you should feel just fine Spence. Cause you have playoff Rondo. You got, <laughs> you got playoff Rondo, dude. Hey Spence, give a shout out to your, uh, to your podcast. Let them know where they can find you.
2: Sure thing, man. It's keeping it at 94. You can find it on Spotify, Apple music, Google play, wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure to subscribe, rate review and do the rest for our wonderful network, including this one right here with clips and drew. And again, the basketballnews.com podcast network. I'm on Twitter at Spendavies. And my partner, Brian Fritz, is on Twitter at Brian
0: Fritz. We appreciate you, Spence. And uh, we're going to have you back soon, dude. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, thanks for coming through. All right. That was great of Spence to show up. So much knowledge about the Cavs. It's crazy. Um, Piggybacking on what was said at the end of that interview. As of today, it's been 938 days since Klay Thompson has played a basketball game. And come Sunday night... If everything pans out right, it's supposed to be his first game back. Um, I'm really excited. I'm, you know, Clay, the best thing about Clay, even though he's been out 938 days, is this guy is just a social media star. He's kept me entertained (laughs) for the past 938 days. And I think the whole NBA is just going to be so excited to see this guy come back and play. And God damn, they're just going to be so good, man. They are going to be so good. And I'm assuming he's going to start, right?
1: Well, that's what I've been hearing. Uh, It sounds like the plan is to start him because Steve Kerr thinks that, you know, based on who he is, it's unfair to bring him off the bench, right? He's a starter. He's Clay Thompson. He's one of the best warriors players in history. Let's start the guy. Uh, For me, I don't, I don't like that. I don't want him to start um, because, you know, while yes, starting it'll, he'll he'll still get the ovation, right? He'll still get all the, the accolades and all, all the whole arena will, you know, stand up and do that whole thing. But I think it would be way more meaningful to bring him in, even if it's 30 seconds into the game, first, first dead ball, bring him in and let him really feel it himself because, you know, you're like Jordan pool, take a seat real quick. I'm coming in. Exactly. And it was, and, and, but regardless, regardless of how I feel about whether or not he should start, uh, I am very much looking forward to this. I'm very, very much looking forward to he's my he's my favorite player. I mean, like I'll just be honest. Like I've I've been a fan of Clay's uh, since he's been in the NBA. And he's the my favorite player uh that I that I watch. I mean, Steph Curry is so fun. All these players are so fun to watch, but I love watching Clay. And you know, I thought it was great that this week he, he there was a little media post, social media post that he had 24 threes in a row um this week. So I, I'm I, everyone's so stoked. the, the thing for me about this debut is he's got to pace himself um, and he can't get overexcited. He can't overextend because the last thing you want is to re-injure yourself this quickly coming back. So he has to like, you know, granted we assume he's a hundred percent, so he should be able to play, but I do think that he's, he should be cautious in these first couple minutes running up and down. Um, and uh, looking at how Kevin Durant has recovered so beautifully from the Achilles surgery, Granted, he didn't have a knee surgery before that, uh, but seeing his recovery and seeing how well he's playing gives me a lot of hope that Clay can be the Clay Thompson, at least you know ninety percent of the Clay Thompson player that he was in the past. Uh, I don't think that's something we should expect uh, on Sunday against the Cavs. I think it'll take some time, uh, but I, it's the most exciting thing. And, and for me, like when I was thinking about this. We've talked a lot about Steph Curry being the most universally liked player. I think potentially the only player that might be more universally liked is his teammate, Clay Thompson. I, I don't know if anyone thinks Clay Thompson's like shitty or not cool or an asshole or, you know, not as good as, as people think he is. I think he might be the only guy that has a higher approval rating than Steph. What do you think of that?
0: That's, that's close. I mean, why not? I, I agree. I mean, him and Braun used to have a little thing, right? Didn't he go to yeah. Braun a little bit, but I'm sure Braun, you know, shows him love and whatnot. Look, if he does start tomorrow night or on Sunday, um, definitely the first play of the game has to be ran for, for clay. And I don't <laughs> think it, sh- it should be a set play where clay gets to shoot a three. And I don't think they, I think they should go to him every single time. Look, I, I think it's only fair. Right. And um, kind of like Steph in that, in his uh, three pointer game, to break the record, like, yo, just, just fire, just fire away. Green light. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully it's on TV. Okay. So we can watch it, watch that game. Um, <laughs> I would appreciate that. But anyways, final thoughts, Drew, you got any final thoughts
1: for me? Uh, yes, I do. And it's mostly piggybacking off my, my final thoughts from last week. Mm. I was down in the dumps a little bit last week, uh, especially about my Lakers and I decided to take a game off and I, I didn't really do it. Uh, I didn't watch the Rockets game, but I recorded it. And then I watched the, the the first quarter and I watched the third quarter, like the first five minutes, just to kind of see the vibe. And the Lakers took care of business in that game, which was good. Um, but it was really good, actually. I really enjoyed it. I watched every other game after that, of course. But the, the little breather that I got, was so important because clips i won my fantasy football league
0: i, I know you did tell tell the people man three i, times I won
1: the goddamnest four-time champ four times one two three four times uh and it was uh it was a hell of a weekend i won it on monday night right so like sunday obviously all the football games happen i was up by 15 and a half points and on monday my opponent had deontay johnson the receiver for the steelers very capable of getting 16 points, like very, very capable of doing that. He scores a touchdown in the first quarter and I'm done. I sent a text message to my opponent. I'm just like, great job. Like, you know, way to take it down. Uh, which is, you know, kind of a subtle psych out because I was still like crossing my fingers and hoping I even popped a mini bottle of champagne at halftime to celebrate second (laughs) because I was like, it's over. I'm not gonna, I'm not winning. It's not going to happen. And lo and behold, Deontay Johnson does not get to 15 and a half points. And I take it by, I think it was a margin of like two, two points that I won by. But huge, huge, huge win. Shout out to all my guys. I own you. I own this league. I dominate. This is what I do. Uh, But anyway, I'm back on the Lakers. It's fine. Um, You know, moving forward, I'm not not so pessimistic about it anymore. I just kind of take it in stride. The LeBron at center thing is interesting. Uh, One thing I do want to correct before I switch it over to you, though. On the last podcast, I mentioned that the Lakers were fifth in defensive efficiency rating. I was completely wrong, but not wrong for the 15-day window that I looked at. So during a (laughs) 15-game window, the Lakers were fifth in efficiency. They're actually like 12th, 13th, 14th. So I just want to correct myself on that. You usually don't do corrections, but that one I think was important because they are not. (laughs) a top five NBA defense, but I'm back on the, on the Lakers train clips. I'm moving with it. Let's go. Hey,
0: congrats on your, on your win again, champ. I think it's great Uh, to piggyback off that the NFL uh, top shot finally let me into their beta. So I, and I don't know a lot about, I mean, I know NFL, but I might need your expertise.
1: Oh, I got you. I know you do. I got you, bro.
0: Hey, so my final thought is this, this is so not clips ish and this is so far away from basketball this is why we have final thoughts right Let's talk about whatever we want
1: let's get existential
0: and i'm gonna call this this segment listen to your smart friends okay (laughs) and the reason why i say that is i have a friend i'm gonna call him bill all right i'm not gonna give his real name doesn't want me to do that bill and i have been friends since since kindergarten right we go through life we're still friends he's not my best friend in the world right but we're friends. We talk when we see each other. We, we, we you know, uh, have lunch. I'll, I'll go see him. You know, he's very successful. Always been successful. Always just been in the right place at the right time. Very smart. And I didn't listen to Bill on certain things I should have listened to him about. I didn't listen to him about Bitcoin. I didn't listen to him about getting in early on on, um, Top Shot, which I should have. I could have been up 100K on Top Shot if I listened to this guy um, when he told me to, right? And I remember saying to myself and to my sister, I remember telling my sister this, I'm not going to not listen to Bill the next time he tells me something, all right? (laughs) Now, in the past two years, I've really learned a lot about NFTs about digital currency, digital assets. I've been heavily involved in it, right? I'm, I'm big on Top Shot, top 1.4%. I got into a couple more NFT projects. I understand everything now, right? Mm-hmm. The crypt, the crypto space has been something that I wanted to get into. It's so confusing. And for older people, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot to deal with. So anyways, my boy Bill calls me and he said, hey, Clips, you got to look at this coin, man. Look at this coin. You should get in on this. Read the white paper later. For those that don't know, white paper is like the, the the market, like their goal for what this coin and what this project is all about. And in N- NFTs, it's all about community and project, right? So I asked no questions, boom, figured it out, bought some Ethereum, bought bought the coins, bought in at three cents. And the, uh, shout out to, it's called Musk Gold, all right? Shout out to Musk Mafia. And I spent the past two weeks just on Telegram, looking at the community, uh, hearing what these people have to say, seeing people drop four, five, 10 ETH, man, which is just wailing in. And I, by no means, am a whale. I, I'm lucky if I'm a koi fish in this game, right? But I'm in it, right? And I listen to this guy and he's making me a lot of money right now. So, and the, the goal for this project, if you guys look at Musk Gold, read the white paper, what I'm trying to tell you is, listen to your smart friends. My smart friend told me to get in on this. I still think it's floor or you still can make good money on this. I'm not telling you to put Lucy's college education on it. I'm not telling you to mortgage the house. What I'm saying is if you were planning on buying those J's next week, fuck it, put some money into something that's going to make you some money and listen to the people, uh, that are smarter than you. Right. And he is. And, um, I think the community of Musk Gold is is awesome, and I they we are the first podcast to even talk about this, Drew. Um, it's still word of mouth. The marketing's coming this month. I believe in the project, and the the most important thing about NFTs is what what in real life utility they have. So this is the clips and drew in real life utility is I'm regurgitating what, what somebody told me, and I'm just putting it out to the masses. You can do it. You don't have to do it, but don't be pissed off when I'm sitting on a PJ because I made the right decision. Right? So that's what I wanted to say. Listen to your smart friends, Drew.
1: That's always a good uh, piece of advice. Listen to the people that are smarter than you. I, 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 people should do that all the time. <laughs> right? They, they should. And look, I, I think we're going
0: into this, this next phase of our lives where like crypto and NFTs are part, it's gonna be part of our life, digital assets and currency. Look, read up a little bit about it, right? And once you start to understand it, it makes so much more sense, right? And I just wanted to sh- shout out to the Gold family, man. It's a great community. Um, if you wanna get in, get in now. I think we're at 45 cents right now. Um, it's on a dip, but don't be shocked if this goes into five, 10, 20 bucks at some point.
1: I love and, it. I'm, look, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in there myself. Real and quick. I, are, we, are we borderline insider trading here? Is this like a white collar crime? No, hold on. I have to put a, disc- a disclaimer. Uh, <laughs> this is not trading advice
0: or investment advice at all. Don't take any investment advice from me. I'm just telling you that this was something I did. Um, and I think it's great. I think the project is great. That's what I got
1: to say. All right. Well, good. I'm glad you covered the bases there. I don't want the uh, <laughs> irs tapping on my door here anytime soon <laughs> hey uh shout out to the musk fam shout out to everybody listening to the show this was a really
0: great show it might be long for people that are still listening to this right now uh prize picks i see a lot of you guys um putting in your picks every night use the code news we got a lot of cool things coming with with prize picks download the app uh let us see who you're picking listen to us next week screenshot record show us show us some love give us a review all right so follow through with clips and drew we're ghost